Hello and welcome to the Lake Superior Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Johnson, and with me today is Linda Lagarde-Grover. Hello. Hello, nice to be here. Each month we bring you a reading from a local author, followed by a talk about the craft. Local, if you aren't yourself, means northern Minnesota and Wisconsin. On today's episode, Linda will be reading from Anagame Singh, Seasons of an Ojibwe Year. What are you going to read for us today? I'm going to read a short piece called When We Cook Manoman. It's about wild ricing. Manoman is the Ojibwe word for wild rice, and it means, uh, it translates in English to the good seed. In many parts of the world, wild rice is a gourmet delicacy, which, because it is scarce and expensive, is served only on special occasions. A few years ago, some friends of ours had company visiting from the West Coast. Because we had such a good time meeting them and wanted to give them a nice gift, before they left town, we gave them two pounds of Net Lake rice to take back. They thanked us many times. Later on, those friends told us that they acted as though we had given them bags of gold. That wasn't too far from the truth, really. Manoman, the good seed that is a gift of sustenance from the Creator, is a sacred food its spiritual origin and purpose at least as precious as gold. Meowaja, a long time ago in the great migration guided by the Creator, the Great Spirit sent a vision of a miraculous food that would go right out of the water, and that brought us to this place. Manoman, because of that spiritual beginning, is more than just food, more than physical sustenance. When we watch the stalks grow in summer, when we harvest, when we prepare and store manoman, and when we cook and eat it, we do so in a thankful manner, remembering the great meaning of the good seed. The wild rice that we gifted to our new friends was a variegated medium brown color, an indication that it had been harvested and processed in much the same way as it was hundreds of years ago. The heads loosened from the stalk, dried and cracked, winnowed, and then stored in a dry place where it would keep for a long time. In my own experience, I have never seen rice that is properly processed go bad. That is the best kind of rice, the kind that a person who rices and finishes in the old-fashioned way would end up with. Our new friends may or may not have known much about Monoman, but the appreciation they showed at receiving the gift did my heart good. Here is how I cook Manoman. If it is just for two people, like my husband Tim and myself, I scoop out a good-sized handful and pour it dry into a small saucepan. I cover it with room-temperature water and then use a sieve to rinse it back and forth six or seven times, as traditionally finished rice can be rather dusty. I pick out any little sticks that might have gotten in during the processing. Next, I cover the rice with water and heat it to a boil, removing the saucepan from the burner when it starts to boil upwards. I skim any dust that boils to the top, turn the heat to low, and then let it simmer covered for about 10 minutes or so, checking a couple of times to make sure that it doesn't dry out. And then it is ready to eat by itself, my personal preference, or mixed up in a recipe. As far as that 10 minutes of cooking time goes, that gets the rice to the point of staying firm, another of my personal preferences, and not mushy, to be avoided at all possible costs. Again, my personal preference. 
If I am not serving the manoman in its plain glory, my, usually, my usual way of fixing it is to cook enough rice for five or six servings and mix it gently with one can of cream of mushroom or chicken soup and some cut-up cooked chicken, meat, or fish. I bake it in a greased baking dish, covered, for about a half hour or so, adding a little water if it looks like it needs it. Less is more with water. Monoman will keep on absorbing the more you add. And I've already said how I feel about mushy rice. The soup, which provides some cohesiveness and heat retention, is invisible by the time this is ready to eat. This simple hot dish looks like only monoman mixed with meat or fish. And that is about as hot dishy as I get with monoman. No onions, celery, or peppers, although some people do like to add them. I also love monoman mixed with some blueberries, and for a really good breakfast, a little milk or cream, raisins, nuts, craisins, cinnamon, and sugar. Nim bakade nun gum. Now I am hungry. Ji ba kwe dash ash wisini da. Let's cook and let's eat. Gaye aname miguechi wendum da. And let us pray our thankfulness. Miguech. I love this book. It has so many profound things to say about the simple everyday. T tell me about the journey that sort of led it to, to its creation and to eventual uh, NEMBA award winning. Status. Well, this came from um, columns that I was writing for the budgeter. It uh, was a local Duluth paper until about a year and a half ago, and it was a free paper for decades. And I started writing some little columns for it probably about 10, 12 years ago. And um, and I really liked doing that because it's a free paper, so it reached all kinds of people who would just pick it up on the street or get it in their mailbox. So after a while, um, I began to put them together into a collection of essays. So these are kind of combined columns, you know, the ones that I thought would work for this book, some rewritten, some put together. and. The University of Press, University of Minnesota Press, published the book, and I was, um, I was, yeah, very, very pleased. It got the Minnesota Book Award for um, creative nonfiction and memoir, and it uh, received the Northeast Minnesota Book Award also. Two big awards for this little book. <laughs> uh, when you were writing your columns, when this was kind of all starting, had did you have it in mind that it was someday going to be collected? No, I didn't really have much in mind at all, but I, I, I wanted to write something that might appeal to, you know, to Native people and also non-Native people and, you know, people who would, who would read in, in the budget or in the free paper. So it was, um, I wanted to do it in a, in a voice that was something like my dad's or my aunt's or my uncle's, you know, they, they spoke in a, um, in a very gentle way when they were passing on information. You know, it's kind of the Ojibwe oral tradition to do this in a, in a quiet, you know, way. And so I, I hope to write in that kind of voice too. Certainly. Well, and how does storytelling uh, factor into the Ojibwe tradition overall? Can you explain that a bit? Well, it's, it is, um, it's continuity, it's survival, it is the existence, it's how knowledge is passed from one generation to another. The oral tradition involves, um, it involves the 
I, I put it into like four steps. You know, first is like the, the taking in of information, kind of learning about it in that way. And then the next step is giving it some thought, you know, observe and think about things and don't just jump in um, foolishly. And then the third step would be when there's a little, you know, some confidence in a degree of mastery of something just going in and doing it, whether it's telling telling a story, sharing information, or actually demonstrating, you know, like wild racing. And then the fourth step is when the, the learner then becomes the, the teacher and the person who passes the information on. So in Ojibwe oral tradition, we are all learners and we are all teachers. The most important thing to pass knowledge down. Certainly. And how do you take that oral tradition and apply it to writing? How, how did you and how did you come to writing to begin with? Well, I've always enjoyed writing. I published my first book like nine years ago, so I haven't always had stuff published or anything, you know, by by any means. But I um, I think of writing as another form of communication. It is not that different really from the oral tradition if if you look at it as as a way of passing passing knowledge and stories down and really um, educating for what it's worth for what the you know what the listener what the reader will take from it certainly there's a you know there's a responsibility on on that end of things too so I um, so it isn't really a transition from oral tradition to written word it is more of um, a, a way of of communicating, and you know, certainly Ojibwe recorded things in in types of written written communications, you know, for a very very long time. But writing in English is something you know that's you know fair, fairly new in I don't know what the last 150 years or something. But I do think it is it is the you know has the same philosophy of passing passing something down. We have a story to tell. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so do you have a writing routine, uh, anything that can uh, inform uh, you know, aspiring writers to, you know, want to want to write like you? Well, it's not that I lack discipline, but I only um, write when I have time and when I feel like I have something to write. I almost always have something I can write, you know, something. And I have little bits and pieces of things kind of... Um, you know, stuck away places that I take out and expand on or add to something else or create, you know, I don't know if I really create something, but I write something, maybe something completely different. So, you know, I know there are people who like get up really early every morning and write for an hour and stuff, but that's not me. That hasn't been my my existence, you know, and it's uh, it works well for me to do it just when I when I feel like it. So there'll be times when I write a whole lot you know, within a, a week or two, and then times that I don't. I don't feel, it, you know, the pressure to do this. Unless I've got a publication deadline, of course, then I, <laughs> then I have a motivation there because it must be here by midnight on this day. <laughs> Writers need deadlines. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know I do. <laughs> um, are you working on anything new right now, or do you have your eyes set on a, another project? I'll have another book out in the spring, Excellent. and it'll be, it's a novel, and it is really like part three. I have two earlier works of fiction that are published, and so this will be this will be part three of it. And it is um, it is um, it is about the foster care system and the experience of some sisters. But it also is about um, the what is now finally getting some attention in 
in the public and in the media, which is um, missing missing Native women. So that I'm um, I'm looking forward to that being out. It'll be out, I think, in March in the spring. Excellent. Keep an eye out for it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, how do you approach uh, memoir writing differently than than fiction writing or poetry? Do you just have to, uh, when the mood strikes, you write one or the other, or how does uh, you decide it's yeah it's really the mood unless I've got a deadline or something and so I write something and put it away um, memoir is not um, because these are short newspaper columns short essays it is not that difficult to write it as a memoir in the same way that I think like the story of my life I think that sounds like a really daunting thing to write right. And one reason I write fiction is because I do think that what I'm able to include in fiction is more true, I think, than nonfiction in many ways. Definitely. So where's the line? I, you know, I I know it's there, and I kind of skirt around it a lot. I think. Excellent. Um, well, I have one last question for you. What are you reading right now? I just finished last night. Um, Small Fry, which is um, S Steve Jobs' daughter's memoir, from the time she was a you know born until she was a um, a, a college student and the time of her father's death, and uh, that was a pretty good read. It went pretty quickly, and very very interesting. It's a a piece um, a piece of life that is so different from anything I've I've ever seen or experienced, and I enjoyed the book very much. I missed a question, so we're going to jump mm -hmm. back. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, what advice do you have uh, for aspiring writers um, and for those listening who want to put out their own collections, whether it's uh, you know, columns or, or, uh, or a straightforward memoir or, or fiction or poetry? Well, I guess my advice would be write something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it um, you know, I think it can be overwhelming to think of oh my oh my gosh a book how many words is that going to be how many pages what will I have to do and so it, what has worked for me is just writing small pieces of things and I have you know I have them in files and in boxes and I I take them out and kind of play with them like you'd play with a deck of cards sometimes and um, kind of piece things together and you know rewrite all the time nothing is ever done even when it's in hard copy on a in a book it is not really done and so that would be my advice you know it's uh sitting down and looking at a blank wall and you got a piece of paper in front of you or your word processing stuff and you're thinking now what am I going to write that just sounds like really um taking the 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 fun out of it right. and so I I want to do it for for fun and you know, enjoyment, and so just write something, even if it's a paragraph or a page, then put it down someplace and come back, and you can do some more in a little bit. Right. Pile up your unfinished tasks. That's right. Yeah, your unfinished tasks, but they're kind of like little nuggets there, kind of like a, a squirrel's treasures, you know. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes you go back through old notebooks and you find something you want to use. Then. It's yeah, fun. yeah. It's yeah, nice absolutely. Something you would never think of again. Yeah. Well, anything else to add uh, for our readers? All right. I, you know, I, I just, I really want to encourage everyone who wants to write to, 
to do that and you know and think of who you're writing for sometimes you're writing for yourself and sometimes you're writing for someone someone else so kind of think of it in that way it's almost like a running conversation in some ways and for those who you know don't write and just want to read um there's there's such a beautiful world of of books out there. I haven't gotten on to like e-readers or anything yet. I'm still I um I enjoy books and I I love the the smell of the library and the smell of books. And so for me the experience of, you know, um, when I was a kid when my mom would say, "Oh, you've got she's got her nose in a book." <laughs> to me that's part of the sensation of of reading something. New new books and old books all have a, you know, their own wonderful scent. That's a, a heady thing that goes along with the reading. So um the readers are I appreciate readers and I and I I know I enjoy it the way you do too. Well, thank you for taking the time today, Linda. Oh, thank you very Glad much. This you. has been fun. Thank you for listening to the Lake Superior Writers Podcast, the audio arm of a literary nonprofit that supports the artistic development of writers and fosters a vibrant literary arts community in northeastern Minnesota and northern Wisconsin. To become a member, donate, or learn more about our mission and upcoming events, visit lakesuperiorwriters.org and find us on Facebook. Until next time, keep reading, keep writing.